2: Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. If you're anything like me, you often feel overcome by the endless questions posed by your children. Why? How? Where? How come? My children bombard me with questions, many of which I don't know the answers to. My guest today is Molly Oldfield. She's built a career answering the questions of children, but she gets it. She grew up questioning everything herself. So prolific were her questions about the world she lived in that she became a QIL for researching and finding questions for the hit BBC series, QI. A mother of two, she's written four books, all aimed at curious children. She presents the podcast, Everything Under the Sun, where she answers the weird, wonderful, extraordinary and insightful questions posed by the children who listen. Molly, welcome to The Parenthood. Oh
3: thanks Marina, thanks for having me. It's lovely to have you back.
2: Um, So I think what would be really interesting to understand is just why do children have so many questions?
3: (laughs) Well that's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Well I think that children just are innately curious as are all human beings. I mean we all started off just asking tons of questions didn't we? Because we It's just something that makes us human. But somehow I think as you grow up, then you think you know things more than you actually do. Uh and it's only when then little children come along that you start thinking, hang on a minute, I don't know the answer to anything. Like, I don't know why the sky is blue, I don't know where rain really comes from. Even the basics, I I don't think grown-ups have got covered, even though we might think that we do. Um, so I just think children, because they're brand new and seeing the world. Through fresh eyes, they're full of wonder and curiosity. And the brilliant thing is, they can make us full of wonder and curiosity again, which is what's so lovely about having children, I think.
2: Well, and also this idea, like, if we all question, question, question everything and continue to do it we'd probably achieve a lot more. You yeah. know, it was the people that questioned everything in life and questioned the status quo and why we do certain things
3: one way and not the other way that were the real kind of change makers in the world. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And, and actually, you can even see it really recently with COVID. Like, look how much has changed because we had to adapt to working from home and, all. you know, the way people don't travel for meetings, they do Zoom. And, you know, there's been so much innovation because of COVID in a way. And uh, so it's happening all the time. If, if we're forced out of our sort of comfort zone then actually and start asking questions then just imagine all the things that we could do as humans so
2: rather than getting exasperated by the questions our children are asking actually actually a really good sign that they're bright um change makers for the future we should be really be encouraging the questions i think so absolutely um so you've written uh, a book now uh, of everything under the sun you've spent how many years now doing the podcast two three years um yes
3: uh, i think it's
2: almost three years yeah And the idea is that children send in the questions that they want answered and you either answer them yourself or you find experts to answer. Yeah. So what has the last few years taught you about the kind of things children want to know? Because I think very often... We just have no idea as parents, do we?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's really, really fascinating, actually. Um, And that's why I love the podcast, because I never know what's going to be in my inbox in the morning. And I also love the book, because it's completely fueled by children's curiosity, as opposed to what adults think they might want to know about. But what I've definitely noticed is they are obsessed with animals. And luckily, I know the um, Natural History Museum curators quite well, because I'm constantly harassing them with, with questions about echidnas and dinosaurs and how do we become humans, and who was the first mummy, and all these questions about... They're interested in humans and how we became humans, um, and animals is the definite obsession, yeah. And what's the most... What's the best question you've had? What's the the most... Yeah. Um, Well, I mean... Just name me an animal. How do snakes wee? Why do giraffes have long necks? Do koalas get bored eating only eucalyptus? I mean... How do snakes wee? Um, oh <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, have that one. <laughs> um, how many bunnies are in the world? Do you want to know the answer to that one? How, how, yes, yes. <laughs> Well, this one was answered by Roberto Portela-Miguez at the Natural History Museum in London. And he said, no one knows how many bunnies are in the world, but there are over one billion rabbits living in farms worldwide. And then they're all the species of wild rabbit. There are 27 species of rabbit in the world, and there may be many, many more that we haven't found yet. So don't be surprised if this number increases in the future.
2: You see, that's what I love about the answers in this podcast is that actually the children learn so much, not necessarily from the content of the answers, but how the questions are answered. I really like that example of someone who just is like, we don't know. But instead of just saying don't know, is like, well, actually, there are all these different species. This is why we don't know. This is what it could be. They're thinking kind of a bigger picture about the question. And that is such a great skill for children to have, especially for then when people ask them questions or they're interviewing, you know, they get asked a question they don't know the answer to and instead of sort of giving up, they're like, well, let's ha- let's think about how we would think about this. And yeah. I think that's such an important lesson for them Absolutely. to learn. Absolutely. And also I think to know that
3: Like, grown-ups don't have all the answers and kids, you know, they should be asking these questions, not worrying that they don't know the answers because we don't either. You know, even world experts don't know everything. I had Stephen Fry on recently and he was asked a question which I, it was, um, why do all the Greek and Roman gods have different names except for Apollo, which I didn't even know. This is asked by a five-year-old called Jack. And Stephen Fry said, you know, I've written all these books about mythology and I love the Greeks and I don't know. And even though I'm big and tall and I might look clever, I really don't know. So hopefully one day you'll find out, type thing. And so he didn't actually know? No, no clue.
2: So sometimes Google doesn't have the answer. There's just no
3: answer to that one. No one can travel back in time to the Greeks and be like or the Romans, and say, why didn't you change Apollo's name? Don't know.
2: Yeah. I love, when I'm with my children ask me questions, I like, um, if I don't know the answer, we explore sort of different theories, like Mm. what could happen, because actually so much of answering questions is not necessarily finding the answer, but looking at certain explanations and seeing, like debating, which one do you believe? Which do you think is plausible? Which do you think, oh, that's definitely it? And which, the data might point to one thing, and you think, well, there's probably no correlation there. And exploring that idea that you know, there's not a definitive answer to everything. Yeah, it's about having a curious, open mind. Yeah, it's a good lesson I think to teach. Um, uh, and in terms of sort of answering their questions, has you've got two young children yourself? Mm. Are they full of questions?
3: Um, they are, yeah. Do um, they
2: give you some questions? Uh, yeah, Arlo,
3: who is, um is four now, he's been on the podcast a few times. His question is number two in the book, uh, which is What does Incy Wincy Spider need? <laughs> which I thought was a good question for a two year old. He was like completely obsessed with watching Incy Wincy Spider and listening to the song specific versions. Like in the car, he'd be like, Not that one, the Scottish one. And we'd have to like <laughs> scramble around on Spotify to find the right Incy Wincy. But yeah, he asked that one. Um, and uh, what else did he asked? How do trees make wind? Um, but Albie's only going to be two on Monday. So he hasn't asked me any questions on the podcast yet. But actually, I should get him involved soon, I think.
2: Yeah. Well, and actually, um, we, my daughter has a, a phobia of spiders. Oh. We're recording in the autumn and there's just tons of spiders yeah. around. Yeah. I just said, Ian, we just need to kind of manage this. Why don't we find out a bit about spiders? And actually, so she had loads of questions about spiders. We did some research and, you know, there were all sorts of sort of interesting things. And actually... By understanding a little more about spiders, it made her much less afraid, which is another, you know, demonstration of how facts and questions and a curious mind can help you in so many different aspects of life. So what did
3: she find out that she that made her feel better about them creeping around? About ra-
2: how amazing their webs are, yeah. how strong their webs are. Yeah. She found it hilarious that um, often female spiders mate and then eat oh, their partner. I thought that would make you more scared. No, she <laughs> laughed and she has oh mummy! imagine if that happened with you and daddy and I was like are we really (laughs) thinking this right now (laughs) but she was really sweet because she was really scared and I I was trying to sort of say to her that this is a totally irrational fear but that wasn't making any difference you know she was like but I'm still scared and it was only when we kind of got her mind out of spiders are scary into spiders are interesting that she said to me you know I feel so much better about spiders now that's really good and it just you know shows that facts and knowledge are just such an important part and that kind of curious mind Mm. um because spiders are extraordinary and actually we should be thinking of them as amazing creatures rather than frightening creatures and actually so much fear comes from a you know misunderstanding of the actual facts not having any facts not knowing yeah
3: Now you can welcome them into your home.
2: Well, I'm not sure we're (laughs) quite there yet, but uh, we're not having the sort of hyperventilation when they're going, there's a spider! I literally am like sort of fighting to see it. (laughs) Have you ever had any really rubbish questions? No,
3: no rubbish questions. Well, I can
2: tell the reason I ask this is because my children always, always ask me questions, and usually they're amazing and really insightful. And then at one point, I think Iona said, What is orange juice made of? I was like, Oranges. The, the juice of oranges. But yeah. I think Ludo's previous question had been, how does the internet work? And I was like, I have um, no, no idea. idea. As far as I'm concerned, it's magic. Yeah. That sometimes doesn't work and is very
3: frustrating. Well, at least you can answer the orange juice one. So you I feel know. quite clever. I got asked do nectarines have nectar in them? But I actually thought that was quite an interesting question. Well, exactly. Um so we talked a bit about like how the gods um Greek Greeks thought the gods drank nectar and how it. Um, yeah, and because it made you live forever. And so we talked about nectar and things like that. So it was actually quite sweet. And why,
2: ne- did you discover why nectarines are called nectarines? Uh, because yeah. they're sweet and delicious yeah, and they taste like, like nectar. food of the gods. Yeah, I yeah. see, I see. So again, a really good example of how, you know, some people would have just responded, no. No. Nope. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and that's it. And that's a really boring question. Yeah. Like an answer to a question, but thinking about, oh, no,
3: they don't. But why would they be called this yeah. if they didn't? Yeah, it was actually genuinely interesting, actually
2: answers are obviously really important yeah and getting children to listen to you is really important it's something that parents and teachers really struggle with have you worked out how to get children like I think what your podcast does really well is it is truly engaging for children mine love it and they're slightly older um but how do you answer a question so that a child finds it sort of relevant and interesting
3: um I suppose I just say the things that I find interesting because um, and I kind of what we always were told to do on QI when we are writing I used to write all the script notes for Stephen Fry and the way we had to write it was like imagine you're talking to a clever six year old because if they can understand it then any grown up can understand it and then hopefully the little ones can sort of pick things up as well and I think I tried to make it quite you know upbeat and like fun to listen to we have some sound effects and also we have um, for the little ones we quite often run a competition so that they can win something like exhibitions at a museum or what else London Zoo tickets or goodie bags and books and things like that So, and and I make it very easy like this week we've got um, Tony Adams who's the former England captain and played for Arsenal for years and he's answering um, are footballers happy which is a really lovely question and he answers it really well but the, the competition is to win a book and all kids have to do is tell me their favourite sport and why they love it so that all children can get involved even if they the littler ones can't quite understand all the answers but my son is probably a bit small for it but he picks things up and then he'll tell me things back to me and he also loves pretending to be me which is hilarious so he'll say i'm molly so can you ask me some questions and i'll say yes why is the sun so bright and he'll say well, did you know? And then he'll start telling me he's totally made up answer, which is always hilarious.
2: Have you actually got him... You, know, you need to be him, get him to present the podcast yeah, one day. Yeah, he should just Pretending
3: to be you. That <laughs> would be so funny.
2: Um, what about questions that are difficult to answer? Because, you know, obviously there are some that are really easy. There are some that you don't know the questions to. And then some where... Potentially, it's an answer. I remember listening to Radio 4 one morning um, and the children aged about seven and eight were like, what is FGM? And I was like, "Oh, I just, I'm not sure I've quite got the
3: headspace to tackle this one with you right now. Oh, God. <laughs> Luckily, I haven't been asked that. <laughs> um, well, some of the trickier ones that we've answered, I've done, um, not in the book, not in the podcast yet, but in the book, it, there's a whole page um, which is answering the question, why do we die? Which... Um, You know, obviously I don't have the answer, but I've sort of talked around, like, the fact that it happens to everybody and everything and how to help somebody who's grieving. I don't use the word grieving, but, like, you know, talk to them, make sure they don't feel alone and, you know, give them hugs and things like that. Um, We've also... I had George the Poet came on and he answered, why do some people live on the street? Which was... he answered brilliantly. And we also sort of said, you know be kind to people and maybe you want to help at your local homeless shelter or give clothes to charity and that was a really really good one um how do people become refugees we had clarissa ward who's a cnn correspondent she's been out in afghanistan recently and she answered that one i thought really really well you know saying of course nobody ever wants to leave their home and encouraging children to be curious and have compassion for a ch- if they happen to meet a child who's a refugee. Um, we're going to be doing one about racism soon. And you took on the difficult question that all parents get asked, of, uh, where do babies come from? So <laughs> that that I've been told by parents that that caused uh, quite a stir in quite a few houses. That's my great. friend was like, oh my God, I got choked on my coffee when I heard what they were listening to. <laughs> and then people were saying... But next door, I've got five children. So did their mummy and daddy do that five times? Like, disgusted. (laughs) Because, yeah, you you really went for it on the the podcast answer. Uh, Um, So, yeah, but I think you've done a lot of parents a favour by answering that one. You know, it's better than finding out in a book with, like, weird diagrams and stuff like that. Or
2: being told an incorrect answer. Yeah, totally. You know, certainly what I've learnt about children is that more than anything, they want your attention and they want you to take them seriously, but Mm. they really want the truth. Yeah like they don't want to be fobbed off and I think when it comes to sort of difficult conversations like life is a series of difficult conversations and difficult decisions and and actually by being dishonest with them it just shows that we're not taking them seriously and Mm. then they'll go elsewhere for their information Mm. you know I did that I think the reason I'm so passionate about being honest with children especially when it comes to kind of sex and reproduction is that you know I talked to a lady who specializes in this and she said if your children don't feel that you're giving them the right answer, they're going to get the information from somewhere else. Mm. And then they're going to start Googling it, and you start Googling sex. Oh, and God. suddenly they're seeing a whole load of inappropriate things. It's so important that you show to them that like, you will be honest with them, even if it's difficult conversations.
3: Yeah, because you want them to come to you with their questions, don't you? Mm. And I suppose if you don't give them an answer that's they know is very honest, like at one time, then they might start to think, well, actually, I can't ask mummy about that. So, yeah. and you definitely don't want that ever to happen. Well,
2: if someone lies to you, yeah. you wonder whether or not you can trust them. And yeah, actually that totally. trust is so important. Yeah. And and I think you then also own the narrative. Mm. So when a child asks you a difficult question, you don't, like with the FGM question, you know, I could probably put it in a way that was sort of appropriate and maybe not quite as shocking for them. Yeah. But still be sort of truthful and honest in the answer. And the same with the sort of sex. You don't need to go into all the details. But remembering, too, that, you know, we have this sort of squeamish, um, sort of dirty association with sex, whereas for children it's simply procreating. It's why we're all here. Mm -hmm. And so we can, you know, we can then sort of put it in a way that's not sort of, you know that's interesting for them yeah when they're you know and when we talk about it was interesting you know we've just had a dog that's had puppies and actually it was such a good education for the children about you know they watched the mating happen and I was really proud because they weren't squeamish they were just curious (laughs) about what was happening and how long it was going to take and then we talked about why gestation in dogs is different to you know humans and how long it takes in different animals and and that you know so it didn't need to dwell on the kind of ickiness we actually got into the sort of interesting part of why we're all here and why it changes with with different children and I think that honesty is so important it means that my kids can come to me with any question yeah I think that's
3: really important
2: yeah I got I got stuck the other day though there was because we often listen to the radio and often that sort of will you know spur questions and they were talking about how um uh homosexual men can now give blood and uh Ludo was like but why couldn't they before? And I said, well, they, you know, there was, you know, AIDS. And I told them about AIDS. And he said, but why do gay men get AIDS? And I was like, I think this is a bit hard. I think this is going to be really difficult to answer. I was just so sort of
3: stuck with that. I was like,
2: I don't know. You're going to have to ask your auntie. She's a doctor. Yes, She'll lucky you've got a doctor know. in the
3: family. <laughs> She'll definitely have the answer. And actually Kiara's answered a question on the podcast and in the book, which is why do we have an appendix? Which I don't even Know the answer to? Well, we used to need it to break down food, um, but then people thought we didn't need it. But Chiara said that now people think that it does help you to fight off infections. And then she said something really interesting was that if you get appendicitis and you're like out of range of a doctor, you can be in serious trouble. So a lot of explorers, say you're heading off to the South Pole, they get their appendix taken out just so that they can never catch append well, not catch, but get appendicitis when they're out traveling. That's quite interesting,
2: isn't it? Yeah, I know. I know. It's quite a sort of uh, brutal it thing is. to do <laughs> um and what about have you ever been
3: really surprised by the answer to a question well i got asked why do giraffes no sorry i got asked what noise do giraffes make what would you think Some kind of... (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're quite close. I thought that they make no noise because I'm always reading these picture books, you know, and there's like, you know, um, Dear Zoo, for example, all those animals, they all make noises. And then a giraffe and just sort of like, "Um." (laughs) but they make a noise, but only at night they hum to each other, but we can't really hear them. But it's like a sort of special giraffe frequency of humming at night. Like whales. Yeah. They recorded them in this in a zoo, I think it was in Germany, and they were like, wow, there's this whole humming conversation going on between the giraffes that they'd never actually heard before without this special recording equipment. So I thought that was quite interesting. So obviously curiosity
2: is really important, like encouraging these questions is, is really important. And probably the best thing we can do as parents is to take those questions seriously and actually take the time to answer them and not be afraid of not knowing the
3: answer. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's not like I actually know the answer to everything, which kids seem to think that I do. (laughs) Like if I do a book talk or something, then they're just firing all these questions at me. I'm like, I have to research the answer. And I think as a parent or a teacher, it's fine to say, I'm not sure let's research the answer. I mean, I'm sure most people don't mind, but I think maybe sort of in the past, adults would feel like they should know and children if they ask them and they didn't know the answer, they'd just say, oh, silly question, and you know? But I think it's good to say, I don't know, and let's find out together. Because being able to research and find an answer to something is just as good as already knowing it, you know?
2: Well, and also... Being able to admit when you don't
3: know is a
2: really important thing. I think so many issues could be resolved if someone just went, Well, actually I don't know. But let me find out. Yeah, exactly. Um, but also teaching them how to research and how to find the answer. I think that's a really important skill because, you know, today we've got the internet, we can't necessarily trust all the sources on the internet. So I definitely with my children will go and research something and I think, well, do you think you can believe this? You know, a lot of it is about examining your sources and working mm. out what you're prepared to believe and what you're prepared not to believe, which I think is such an important skill in today's world. Yeah.
3: And actually, what I love about the podcast is when every every week I have a different expert on. So it's been brilliant, like these world experts on, you know, everything from echidnas to Jupiter, sharing their extremely intricate knowledge of whatever they have spent their life researching with children. It's just really nice. People have been so generous with their knowledge. Um and I've really enjoyed like meeting so many different people. Well and also
2: exploring that idea of that there are theories. Yeah. You know, especially when it comes to space. Yes. And um time and, you know, this idea that different people have different theories and in the old days we thought this, but now we believe this. But it might change by the time that our children are grown up. Yeah. We might have a totally different theory about I don't know dark black holes or whatever it is aliens aliens might have landed i know (laughs) i know but what else what else can we do to kind of encourage that um curiosity um in our children
3: um well i think that obviously we've talked about listening to their questions and realizing their importance so i just think it's important to take each question that they come up with seriously uh, and try to find somebody great to answer it for them uh, which is what i do in the podcast or like we've said. Use read books and go online and just really help them. Um, and read books, go to libraries, go to bookshops. Obviously, libraries are an incredible free resource, and museums in this country as well. Um also there are great you know podcasts obviously your, yeah it's your
2: podcast but there are so many great kind of fact-based podcasts
3: yeah for there's more and more for children and actually even television is so good with facts like my son watches um Andy's dinosaur adventures and he just knows everything and, and Andy's safari adventures so actually I now write a um, quiz for the Guardian every Saturday it's the kids quiz and um So it's five questions, multiple choice, uh, and then kids guess the answer. And it's online, so that's quite fun, because you can press which one you think, and then the answer pops up. And I was trying it out on Arlo, who's four, and one of the questions I was going to put was, where do lions sleep at night? Because I thought that people would say the jungle because of the jungle book but he was like "Um, well lions live on the savannah so I think they sleep on the savannah and I was like oh (laughs) I won't put that one in the quiz then because even you know the answer to that well not even you but I think it's because he loves you know these programs that are full of facts which are and and the more you know the more questions you have
2: yeah you know so it's not like you'd research something and you think right now I know it all that curiosity is fueled by the sort of more facts. Yeah,
3: the more you know, the more you want to know yeah. and it all starts to slot together.
2: Well, and they sort of, answers lead to more questions. Well, if that's like that, then why is that like that? Mm. And I, I've got to say, I think the idea of a quiz is a brilliant one. We were, um, I was on holiday with my sisters and their children and we're just lots of children sitting at every meal and you just acting up, not really eating. So I just, you know, went online and we got different quizzes, geography quizzes, general knowledge quizzes, and they loved doing the quizzes and they learned so much from it. But it often kind of sparked other conversation. Oh my gosh, I never knew that. But did you know this? And I wonder why that? And it just, I think sometimes with children, it's quite difficult to have conversations because they're not that... Um, they're not that well versed in the art of conversation mm. like you know what did you do at school today chat, you know and uh, they're like
3: how was yeah. school fine yeah and that's it my son says can't remember
2: yeah <laughs> and so often you just need to give them a little bit of something yeah and then you end up having these really lovely animated conversations you find out what they know you find out what interests them yeah um, and it's as simple as just a quiz yeah
3: And actually, wait, the quiz is super fun to do. Um, But another thing that people have been doing with the book is because there's one question and answer for every day of the year, people have been reading one question and answer every morning at breakfast. Um, So you can... And children also seem to like turning to their birthday and reading the question and answer on their birthday. But it's sort of designed to be like, oh, today is, what day is it? First of October. So let's read the question and answer for that, which I happen to know is um, how do leaves on trees and so then you read the question and the answer and then you can spend breakfast chatting about trees yeah it's just quite a nice thing to do and then school go to school looking at the trees yes. and
2: noticing the trees mm-hmm. and
3: exactly. you know wowing everyone with your knowledge in, in trees yeah, yeah I think that's another thing about like nurturing curiosity that I was thinking about is that actually you know, you don't have to go to amazing museums, although it's great that you can, but it's sort of about slowing down and noticing as much as anything else, isn't it? Like, when you're walking to school, you look at the trees and think, Why? how are they blowing in the wind? And just noticing just the simple things. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's actually a poem that I really like by someone called William Martin, and the last two lines of it are, uh, make the ordinary come alive for them, the extraordinary will take care of itself. Which I think is really lovely. And in the poem, he talks about tasting different kinds of apples and just going down to like the smaller things that, you know, we're so busy but taking time to just notice, like, look at those flowers that you have. They're all different colours and just, I don't know, talking about, like, simpler things.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And I think children are actually born really curious. You yeah. just look at children, how, you know, even when a toddler is sort of dropping something off the table, it's noticing, it's basically learning about gravity. Yeah. And and they do it again and again, and everything is really interesting. The button on your shirt, why does it glitter like that? What would happen if I put it into my mouth? Can I break it with my teeth? What if I throw it? Does it fit up my nose? <laughs> They're kind of, you know, imbued with all these questions, which actually life kind of beats out of them. And actually, by the time we're adults, we're like, oh, I don't have time for that. Yeah. But actually, if we could take a leaf out of our children's books and start to wonder a little bit more and start to pause and listen and think, gosh, I wonder why, you know, leaves do grow. I mean, I have no idea how a leaf grows. I will have to go to the 1st <laughs> of October in my book and actually find it out. And
3: sort of, I think that would be brilliant in terms of sort of mental health as well. Mm. Totally. Slowing down and noticing things around you. I mean yeah, it's extraordinary really that we live on a planet floating in the middle of space um, and that we don't just talk about that all the time. I know. (laughs) I mean, It is very bizarre if you think about it but we kind of forget.
2: Mm. I mean, if I'm going to be totally honest, that idea is actually a bit frightening. Not that I'm (laughs) worried about falling or anything but just like the idea of space that goes on forever and ever and ever. I just literally can't get my mind around that. And Iona, my daughter, is exactly the same. She's like just find it too much to even think about whereas luda my son finds it so interesting and is fascinated with space and time and all of this kind of stuff uh, but it's interesting how our minds are differently wired and yeah. some, ch- some children are drawn to certain things and others are obsessed with
3: other things yeah it's true Same. So my husband was like oh god don't talk about stuff like that i'll totally spin out he just hates to think like there are millions of planets you know heading off in infinite directions whereas i'm like Why on the news don't they have, like, you know, on news round or something, what happened in the galaxy today? Do you know what I mean? I think it would be good to have that bigger picture rather than all the, like, grim news happening on Earth.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think another way is, like, including children and the things that you do even if it's kind of mundane yes you know for them peeling a carrot yes. uh, for us it's <laughs> so like, oh, annoying god, if they another want to peel a carrot, carrot. To peel. and they're looking at the peeler going oh my god how does that work how does it just take off just the right amount of skin and what are we going to do with the carrot peelings and then they can put it in the composting it just sort of allows them to be educated and that curiosity to sort of burn brighter than if you just said I'll oh, just sit down I'll peel the carrot for you yeah
3: absolutely involve them in what you're doing even though it means you have to do it a lot more slowly <laughs> and with a lot more method. (laughs) Um, and
2: I mean the other thing that for me is really important that I kind of try to tell my children is like have the confidence to talk to people Mm. and ask them questions actually if you talk to people and you think well what makes a good friend what makes someone that you want to hang out with often it's like someone who asks questions and who's interested in them yes and I'm a big believer that whoever you are whatever life you lead there's always something really interesting to be discovered about you and I think if you're child or as a person you go off into the world and you're always really keen to discover what is really interesting about every person you meet that is like the recipe for a really rewarding life
3: yeah you're absolutely right yes definitely the more curious you are the greater and more exciting your life is going to be isn't that the case and you can like discover things about your neighbour you don't have to travel to Australia to do it even though that's a lovely thing to do but yeah you're right just talking to people that you come across every day you mean you you find out so many interesting things yeah
2: and talking to i remember actually a grandfather of a friend of mine he was very successful and very um important worked for the american government And one of his greatest skills was that he was just interested in everyone, Mm. whoever they were. Mm. You know, the waitress who brought his meal to him at the table in the restaurant, he would ask her loads of questions and he was as interested in her as he was with the American
3: president. Mm. You know,
2: and I love that sort of uniformity, that idea that everyone is interesting. It's about finding out what's really interesting about them.
3: Yeah, I think that's a great skill to have.
2: Um, and I guess boredom, too,
3: is, is another... Yeah. A bit of downtime is always good. Yeah, but... um, yeah I think you've, you've got to let your children kind of have a bit of time to just do whatever they want to do and, you know, maybe they're going to draw or read or just sit in the garden even, you know, I, sometimes, I have to be like careful, like my little one especially because he's only two, you know, he'll love to just stand in the garden just watching things and I have to be careful not to sort of interrupt him and say, shall we go and do this? Because I can notice that, you know, sometimes I break his his train of thought, I don't know what he's thinking about but, you know, I think he's not doing anything but he really is, he's taking so many different things in.
2: But also the idea that, and I do think our children are possibly a bit Mm overscheduled nowadays. You know, they wake up and it's like a battle to get breakfast in time to get to school and then they've got clubs and then they've got homework and then you should really be doing that extra times table practice and reading and, and actually there's so little time for, just reflection and I've got to say I found that was a lovely thing about lockdown is that there was just much less to do and I felt that my children really matured and found things that they were truly passionate mm. about that I don't think they would have discovered had we not had lockdown like oh, really what did they get them to uh, well Ludo was uh, became into going growing things oh well that's so, so you strange. know everyone became obsessed yeah with, we must grow our own vegetables and, w- and we did that and it started actually we'd gone to Marks and Spencer's before the shops shut shut and they were giving away um, little. of seedling things and he started and he was like this is unbelievable this is amazing and he never really sort of thought about it and then started growing things in the garden and he is now totally obsessed with growing things and that's something that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't had that kind of period of literally not being overscheduled not being able to go on play dates not being literally just sat at home kind of doing nothing yeah just so much free time and I was reading actually um that a lot of the really creative thinkers and the people that have you know, the real geniuses in life have had periods of quarantine or isolation Mm. enforced. Mm. Like Ada Lovelace, for example, Mm. she was very ill, I think, as a child. She had tuberculosis. So there were years spent literally doing nothing. Mm. And there's a very much a correlation between people who had this sort of enforced period of isolation and people who became kind of the real thinkers. Mm. And so I do think as parents to try and like on car journeys, for example, Don't just give them the iPad and let them watch something. Let them look out the window and notice things Mm. and wonder about things, that why they got there.
3: Mm. Uh, I think that's such an important part of our sort of imagination. I think so, and let your brain kind of relax a bit and go a bit offline and start, you know, doing a bit of freestyling rather than, you know, oh, gosh, that test I've got to do on Monday and I've got this play date and I've got to go to (laughs) trampolining, you know, so much that children do now. And um, I don't know, I think maybe just some time to just do whatever they want or not do anything. It's actually quite nice when you're little.
2: Yeah, well, whenever I go for a run, I don't listen to anything. It's really tempting to listen to podcasts. or To listen to some music or to listen to a talking book. But actually, I found that that hour... It's when my best thinking goes on, and I think, right, that's how I'm going to tackle that question on the podcast. That's the theme that we should. I'm going to do my next article about. That's how I'm going to resolve this mm. argument or this issue that I've got with my friend, or whatever it is. And it's the time when I can kind of sort my head out. And I think, great, that was a really constructive hour. Oh, I'm so good. things out <laughs> in my head. And if I'd been listening and stimulated in any other way, I wouldn't have reach those yeah you'd have
3: gone off on a completely different tangent which is good as well I suppose but I do the same with swimming because I guess you can't really listen to anything so Mm -hmm. when I'm swimming I'm sort of like mulling over things Although, actually, I've just discovered these headphones that you can listen to things underwater. (laughs) That's dangerous. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, Molly, it's been
2: so lovely to chat to you. Oh, thank you so much. I love the podcast. I'm so excited to get the book. Um, And I think we are absolutely going to take uh, your idea up and look every morning. I think it's actually a really nice thing. My children, when they wake up in the morning, they're in such filthy moods, especially as the days are getting darker now, to go, right, come on, let's go down and let's see which question
3: and answer we've got today. It's a really nice, positive way to start the day. I think it's a fun thing to do, yeah. I mean, it's not exactly what I intended. I thought people would do it more as a bedtime story, but it seems to be a morning breakfast thing that people seem to like doing, so that's really nice. Yeah, well, I think it's a really great
2: way to start the day. It's such a lovely book. It's beautifully illustrated. Um, it's an
3: amazing present, and um, so thanks thanks for writing it. Thanks so much. Yes. yes, it's illustrated by 12 different artists. And actually, let me tell you, my, at the back was one of my favourite pages, which is... Um, because it's published by Ladybird, each of the 12 artists has drawn their own Ladybird and written underneath the thing they most loved um, drawing in the book. See, So there's a little skateboarding Ladybird and a little reading Ladybird um, by all the 12 artists. So yeah, it's really beautiful. I'm really happy with how it looks. It's great.
2: What I also love is on the inside cover, there's loads of um, speech bubbles that are empty so children can write their yeah, own questions. They in can, there. yeah. Molly, thank you so thanks much. Thank you so much. Um, Everything under the sun is, as the book is available from all good bookshops. It's out now. Uh, you can also listen to Molly's podcast, which is available probably on the same platform that you're listening to this podcast mm-hmm. on. Uh, definitely give it a go. Uh, thank you for downloading this episode of the Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you found this podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, for Molly and me, thanks for listening. And goodbye. Goodbye.